excuse me. Um, so this morning, we are uh, continuing with our Spirit of God, um, and now we are looking at the Spirit of God and how He empowers us uh, to be on mission for that very thing. So if you have a Bible, um, turn uh, in either your, your hard copy or your phone uh, and turn to uh, the book of Acts. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, um, if you just raise your hand and our greeters um, can, can grab a Bible for you uh, so that you can follow along. Uh, but we're going to be in Acts uh, chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 12. So again, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven, and as this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us his own native language? Perinthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Perga, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arab Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said they were filled with new wine. This is the word of God. Let us pray as uh, Trev comes up and brings us the word this morning. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for bringing us together. Thank you that um, as we sit here this morning that uh, we know that you are with us and that um, as we look into this passage in Acts about uh, the Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and how he indwells each individual uh, and gives us a mission and fills us with the power to be able to accomplish the mission. Father, I pray that we would just listen and that your spirit would be speaking to us as you speak through Trev. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Matt. Well, my name is Trev, and I am one of the pastors here at Urban Grace, and I am super excited to... Uh, be able to deliver God's word to you. I'm, I'm fighting off a frog in my throat. I literally have candies called frog in my throat. So I'm fighting that off. I'm praying that Jesus can give me a voice uh, for today. That wasn't there Friday, but it started to come back yesterday. So I hope you'll bear with me. Um, if it looks like I'm not excited, I really am. I'm just feeling a little bit under the weather. We're in a series called The Spirit of God. And I'm not sure... Uh, because there's such a variety of, of people here and a variety of experiences, what your approach is to this idea 
of God having a Holy Spirit. Some are very comfortable with this. Some are not very comfortable with this at all. Some are not find this unusual sort of topic. Um, but we've, we've le- been learning. I've been learning a lot in this series. I feel like I've just gone back to school and learned, uh, kind of relearned everything that's been going on in Scripture. And what I found is that um, the Spirit of God is much more active than I had originally anticipated and thought. And uh, so much so that we decided to add an extra week to the series just because we felt that it wasn't wise just to kind of leave the, the gifts away, but it also was not wise to not cover the Spirit empowering us to, to witness, which I think is a topic in and of itself. That's our topic this morning. And so uh, there's no service next week, but the week after that we'll pick up and we'll continue on with talking about spiritual gifts. You'll notice specifically that it's last and, and each one of these messages have been building, and that's very important. And so if you feel like you're missing some information, A, you probably are missing some information, but B, you can go back and, and take a look. Uh, they're all on YouTube now. Uh, it, they, they all do kind of build on one another, um, different aspects. But we're in a great passage today, um, a passage that some whole denominations would take as their passage uh, the word Pentecost comes up, and so that's where we get the word Pentecostal, um, which is interesting. If you know what the word Pentecost actually means, it means 50th. So you can go ahead and call those other churches the, the denomination, the, the, the 50th Assembly of, of Canada, if you want. Uh, that's an inside joke, apparently, that no one else gets but me. But this is a very important passage for us because what happens here explains a lot of what will happen for us as well. And so, um, you know, Matt begins each week by talking about gospel, family, and mission. And how the mission is such an important part. And as I went through the text, I found this is actually probably more a mission text than a spirit text. It's strange. I didn't expect that. But it has more of an emphasis on the mission of God than it does really on the Spirit of God although the Spirit of God does show up in a very powerful and very supernatural way. Here's the deal. Without the Spirit, we don't have a mission. That's that's essentially what the text is going to tell us. Without the Spirit of God empowering us, we do not have the mission ahead of us. And so hopefully... Uh, again, I don't know where you're approaching this from, but I think uh, we have a hard time because in our culture, what we're struggling so much with is, is this idea of the Holy Spirit as kind of a personal God. Now, we live in a very individualistic culture in Western society here in, in Canada, I would say. A lot of cultures that, that would be much more communal, uh, they would understand uh, life in community much more, but here kind of the individual is king and queen, right? And so we've, we've kind of moved from this where, where you suppressed who you were for the betterment of community. That was a lot of the ancient cultures to now. You don't suppress who you are if you want to be good for culture. In fact, we've switched exactly opposite around. That now the individual rights, the individual freedoms have become the most important thing. And it doesn't matter what society tells you. And you notice there's a lot of stories in our culture that will say this. It doesn't matter what society tells you to do and who you are. You as an individual need to express that. Now these cultures wouldn't have understood this. The culture that this 
book was written and wouldn't have really understood the individual rights and freedoms like we would know today. They would not really have very much of a concept of this. And so I think sometimes because of our cultural blind spot of reading into this individualistic culture where me, what I feel, what I do, what, who, what is inside of me is the most important thing of all. And some of you are looking at me like, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's how much a part of this culture we are. That it has become so much of a blind spot that we have a hard time reading this in kind of a communal aspect. But it's so important to get that that is not the approach. So far in the story of God, uh, the Spirit has come, but He's always come to a community. He has come to individuals, absolutely, but He's always come to an individual to help a community. This is the first time we see something individual go on. So it's groundbreaking. In fact, you know, there are some that would fight Christianity and say Christianity suppresses the individual. Actually, if you look at history, it was Christianity that began to celebrate the individual life and say there was value in individuals. If you root, find that back in history, you will see that that whole philosophy changed by Christians saying that everyone has value. Everyone's gifts. Now you, you personally can have a spiritual experience of God. And because we have this blind spot, we have this tendency to think of this idea of the Holy Spirit being for me. I tell you all that because that is our cultural blind spot. That is our baseline cultural narrative is that we think the Spirit of God in terms of what He can do for me. How He can help me live my best life how, how He can help enable my mission, how He can help enable what I like and what I feel in the direction that I want to go. That's typically how we approach this whole idea of the Spirit of God. Here's the interesting thing that we see from the text. The Spirit of God was not given for the individual, personal, exclusive relationship. It was given for the purpose of mission. It's an amazing thing. It's really groundbreaking. It's going to take a lot for this to really break into our hearts because of our blind spot. And so I don't know your approach this morning, but if it's anything like mine, you are initially thinking, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And here's what I'm going to be telling you. It's not in it for you. The Spirit of God comes to us for the specific purpose of spreading the Gospel. In the very beginning of when we arrived here at the Kirby Center, we talked about this idea of giving it away, giving it away, that we have been blessed by God so that we can go out and bless. And so this, this theme is also in this text. I'll give you a little bit of context of what's going on in chapter 2. You can't really understand chapter 2 unless you understand chapter 1. And so if you'll turn the slides there, Wyatt, you'll see that this is the basis of the very beginning. I can't no longer see the screen, so I'm just going to trust that it's up there. You see, there were, there were this cultural mindset from, from Jews who were there. This was, would be the context of what was going on. And so Jews, the, the, the book of Acts is written by a man by the name of Luke, and he actually wrote two uh, books of the New Testament, Luke and Acts. It's often referred to Luke-Acts, if you will. And so what happens in the book of Luke is he describes the ministry of Jesus and what Jesus does. And how Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus is the sacrifice. Repent and believe in Jesus. Turn from your ways and believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus. And then in the book of Acts, we see this is the, the Spirit of God 
continuing the work of Jesus. Some would call this the Acts of the Apostles. I think a better name for that book is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do throughout this book of Acts. So as we begin in chapter 1 in this story, the disciples have just witnessed Jesus risen from the dead. Not come back to life, risen from the dead, resurrected body. Those are actually very different things. And so they have heard from Jesus what's going on. And so they say to Jesus, hey, is now the time that all these prophecies that have been told about you throughout the whole story of God, are they going to come true? Is now the time when you are going to make Israel the centerpiece like the Bible says it does? But their lenses were political and military. So they really understood this is now the time in which your Holy Spirit is going to come and everyone's going to have to come into Jerusalem to get a taste of God. And everyone's going to have to bow their knees at Israel's military power. And everyone's going to have to bow the knees at Israel's king. And Jesus says, no, you don't really get that. That's why it says, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he responds by saying, hey, that's none of your business. It's not up to you. This is up to the Father who is established. Is that up there? It is not for you to know the times of the season that the Father is fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So yes, the birthplace of the church, the birthplace of Christianity is Jerusalem. But ultimately, it'll be everywhere. It'll not be restricted by any geography whatsoever. You won't have to go to Jerusalem to know God. This is a groundbreaking understanding for us that we sometimes forget that we are Christians. We have an opportunity to be disciples of Jesus because of this text. Because Jesus didn't decide that now everyone has to go to Jerusalem and go to the wall and touch the wall and pray there in the temple in order to get close to God. He sent His Spirit. He sent power so that witnesses would come and tell us and we would hear and believe and then become witnesses as well. This is key. First time we really see why the Spirit is given. You will be witnesses. What's a witness? What's a witness? There should be a, a, a picture coming up. Next picture, why? I think it's there. Take a look, yep. It's a witness stand. It's the best witness stand I could find without having to pay $875 for it. But what happens on a witness stand? Witness stand is where someone sits there and the judge who's sitting beside the witness stand simply says, tell, or some lawyers or some litigators or whatever, they, they ask, what have you seen? What have you heard? What have you experienced? It's personal. It's against the law to, to talk about something that didn't really happen. It does happen all the time, by the way, but it is against the law. The point is a witness is supposed to explain what has already happened to them. They saw it with their own eyes. They heard something. They experienced something. This is what Jesus says the Holy Spirit is for. So that you can have power to be a witness everywhere. Did you know that? 
Did you know that the power is not exclusively so that you can just have a closer relationship with Jesus? Although you do have that. Did you know that that power is given to you exclusively to then give it away? To witness what you have seen and experienced and heard. So God gives the power to witness here. That's our first point. I think I'm well already into that. The day of Pentecost, if you'll see now in our text, the day of Pentecost is also known as the Feast of Weeks. And I apologize if I offended anyone about the whole Pentecostal remark. That wasn't uh, intended to be offensive. I would consider myself Pentecostal in that sense. I believe this is true and I believe this is helpful. The day of Pentecost is simply Feast of Weeks. It's exactly seven weeks from the first day of harvest. That's all they figured out how to do it. It's 50 days, essentially. Over time, they kind of... um, distilled kind of some practices and so the Jewish people they would count off seven eventually it just became 50 days so essentially this is 50 days after uh, the Passover now you, you you've got to remember some things about the Passover that you may or may not know the Passover is where Jesus specifically designed his death to happen there was a, a chronological piece that he wanted to make sure we understood the Passover is where he explained that, that here, here's what the Passover was. It's this ancient Hebrew celebration of this great moment of deliverance uh, from Egypt, the, the Hebrew slavery from Egypt. So ancient Hebrews had been in slavery for about 400 years um, in Egypt, and God had miraculously, through a man named Moses, brought them out of slavery through a a series of plagues, a series of supernatural events intended to kind of put the pressure on Pharaoh to release the Hebrew people from slavery. And when he did that, it happened so fast, they literally had no time to do anything but grab all their suitcases and pack them full and move immediately. In fact, the whole celebration even uses something called unleavened bread because unleavened bread doesn't even need time to to rise. It was that fast. That's the purpose of that. We actually have unleavened bread here this morning for you as we celebrate communion. But that was the point. The speed of it was to get out there fast. And, And God said, I want you to remember this Every year, I want, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do what you did in Egypt. I want you to slaughter a lamb, a perfect lamb, a one-year-old lamb with no defects. I want you to take your absolute best lamb. And instead of this, you paying the price, instead of you dying, I want this lamb to pay the price, this perfect lamb, this innocent lamb. I want you to slaughter it. I want you to feel that someone else is paying a price for you. And then I want you to take that blood that is shed and I want you to wipe it on the doorposts and when and when the angel of God comes in he'll he'll see the blood that's covered he'll say hey this sacrifice has already been paid and so he'll pass over those people okay that's kind of a layman's terms version of the Passover and and after that happened God said I want you to do this every year I want you to celebrate the Passover we even do this as a community to help get kind of a an underst- a greater understanding of this we celebrate this as city groups. 
And then when Jesus comes and he dies, he dies during the Passover celebration that annually happens for Hebrews. Why did he do that? He wanted to hover over that image. If you're new to Christianity here this morning, this is why Christians keep singing about lambs and blood. That's not a joke. This is why we do this. We sing nothing but blood because Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus' blood was shed. It was his innocence that became our innocence through faith. It was his righteousness. It was his price that he paid. That's why in the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Jesus is described as the lamb on the throne whose robe is dipped in blood. That's where all that imagery comes from. I know it may sound creepy if you're brand new to this. This has deep historic symbolic significance for these people. Now here's what's interesting is that 50 days after that Passover the Holy Spirit comes. And so something is happening symbolically here. So what we see is this great sacrifice that Jesus paid. But if you know anything about the Feast of Weeks, it's a celebration of harvest. That's what it is. It's basically like a Hebrew Thanksgiving. Okay, lots of food. And they celebrate it. They start the harvest and then 50 days later they finish it. Some of you are like, that's an awful long harvest. Yeah, well, they didn't have power tools. So it took them a while. Here's what's crazy is I I think, although some scholars will kind of shy away from it, they say, well, we don't know exactly. I would say yes, but the imagery is here, friends. Jesus pays the sacrifice. The Holy Spirit comes to harvest. And he comes to harvest not just food, but souls. He comes to provide salvation for all. He, he comes to initiate the harvest. In fact, one writer uh, named J.D. Greer from a book I quoted last week called Jesus Continued said, the Holy Spirit was given to harvest what Christ's death had purchased. Isn't that cool? That is so cool. That's how we got to see this text. First and foremost, that's why I said kind of almost before we even get into the spirit part, we've got to understand, I really believe that this is about the mission of God. There's some wild and crazy things that happen there, three supernatural things. There's uh, something that appears like wind. It doesn't actually say it's wind. It said it appears like wind. It sounds like mighty rushing wind, which I don't know how else you would describe that. You can't see wind, right? Like, have you ever seen wind? No, of course you haven't seen the wind. Right? You've, you've probably seen effects of the wind, but not the wind itself. But something that sounds like this mighty rushing wind. I remember having a dream one night where I felt like I heard that. So I, I, I kind of, I feel like this doesn't take that much of our imagination to imagine what this could have been like. Just this huge whooshing sound of wind. Now the crazy thing about wind is that the Spirit of God is always associated with wind throughout the story of God. Another symbol that, by the way, I'll I'll also say that it's also associated with breath. So that word wind and that word spirit and that word breath are sometimes interchangeable throughout the Bible. In fact, in the beginning of Genesis, it God breathes wind into Adam to make him alive. There's also fire. Fire is also closely associated to the Spirit of God. 
Fire often represents kind of the judgment of God, but sometimes it represents the presence of God. So in this, after, if you remember back to what I told you about the Passover, as God is leading His people out into the desert, He is leading them with a, with a cloud by day and fire by night to symbolize His presence is going out before them. There's often fires of judgment. So when God comes and He judges particular cultures, sometimes you talk about fire and brimstone, right? You've maybe heard that. Someone's probably told people before that that's the kind of preacher I am. I'm a fire and brimstone kind of preacher, right? Because I yell a lot, even when my voice is quote-unquote sore. That's, that's actually a, a story from the book of Genesis as well. Fire and brimstone is, is the story of Sodom where God decides to judge a particular culture and He brings down fire in terms of judgment. And so there's this unique kind of image happening here of, of God's very present in this, this fire, not necessarily being just judgment, but it's, it's all kind of blended together. And then what happens? It's not actually fire, but it looks like fire and it starts to weave. You, you may or may not understand this idea of tongues of fire. If you've ever watched fire, I don't know if you've ever been that crazy enough. So you're, you're sitting around a campfire and you watch how fire works and it's almost like tongues are licking around that's what they say, actually. Tongues that licked around the wood to consume it. And so you can imagine this fire coming upon this group of believers and the, and, and the fire is coming on each individual person. It's about 120 there, we figure, that, that, that are there. That the Holy Spirit decides to reside and come upon them at that particular time. And then they speak. And here's where it gets controversial for some, and there's a lot of different ways that this has been read. But here's what I think is happening in the text. It's not merely just kind of speaking in a different language. It's speaking in a language that begins to be intelligible to everyone that's around. So if you remember the gathering that is there, you have to remember that part of it. That, the, that there's, there's all kinds of Jews from all kinds of nations. In fact, most scholars would say every single nation where Jews were present is represented in this particular text. Every single one. And they begin speaking in a language that is intelligible to not themselves, but those who are hearing. And we'll get to that in a second. But here is what's really cool about that whole story is that for the first time, God's Holy Spirit does not just merely rest on, an uh, on a community. He rests on individuals. And they begin speaking. The very first time we really see the Holy Spirit come in power in a way that we have never seen before in the story of God, He comes upon an individual. This is exactly why we say this every week. Everyone who calls themselves a disciple of Jesus or a Christian, if you will, is a missionary who is called to do exactly what these people did in this first century text, to speak. What were they saying? They were talking about the, the, the wondrous, mighty works of God. They were saying how great God was. Let's go back to the first part of the message. They were witnessing what they knew 
about God in a language that they themselves didn't understand, but those who were hearing them did. I know some are very skeptical of texts like this. <coughs> Excuse me. But this is what we believe is the Word of God. This is what happened. Now, what does that mean for us? It means the same Spirit that was given to these people is given to us who believe in Jesus Christ. The same power that helped these people to speak in a language they didn't previously know is the same power that is available to every single Christian. And I say is made available because some of you did not necessarily realize that it was. Or perhaps you're in this category. Perhaps you're not accessing it because you are afraid. You're afraid of the raw power of God. But each individual is given this. Who believes every disciple of Jesus is a missionary. Charles Spurgeon is famous for saying, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. That's a strong statement, isn't it? Every Christian, every disciple of Jesus is either a missionary or an imposter because every Christian or disciple of Jesus has the Spirit available and the Spirit is given so that we will witness to those who do not yet know Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why it's so hard to share your faith? Some of you may have been Christians for a while. Some of you are brand new Christians. Some of you may not be Christians yet. But you will find, regardless of what category you're in, whether you've heard the gospel message for the first time today and you believe it, or you've been growing and working, or you've been a Christian all your life, that there will come times when you feel fearful to share your faith. I used to hear this all the time. Ever notice how you, you, know, you, you're, you seem almost fearful to, to share your faith, and yet when you have to share what your favorite hobby is, you have no trouble? Ever notice that strange dilemma? How easy it is to talk about your fav- favorite sports team or your favorite novel or your, your favorite TV show or your favorite movie, but somehow when it's... When, when someone asks you what your experience of God's like, you kind of stumble your way through it. Here's what I think. You don't need the Holy Spirit to talk about your favorite movie, but you do need the Holy Spirit to talk about your experience of God. You need the power of the Holy Spirit for that. You ever notice how when you even speak it, there's been times when I've been preaching and talking about this idea of uh, three in one, that God is three persons in one, how complicated that is. And I was like, how could you possibly believe this? This seems so crazy, even as I speak it out loud. How are people ever going to believe this? Well, they can't. Unless the Spirit speaks through me. Until the Spirit begins to put these things together in your heart. Until the Spirit somehow takes your rational thought and your emotions and and all that's inside of you and and the decision-making center and you start to plug these things together. The second thing we see is why God gives us power to witness. i got to hustle here. As the text continues to describe for us all these different cultural groups, um, 
They were very naturally gathered because, again, this is a celebration just like Passover. Everyone kind of goes to Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks. And so there's a lot of different kinds of people there. There's Jews from every nation. And, and the, the prophecy about the way that God would work is He would start with the Jews and then move out. That's why you go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and that's what it says. You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, starting there. And Judea, that's the surrounding area. Samaria, that's right bordering Judea. And the ends of the earth. They would have still understood the earth as being flat in that. But nonetheless, the ends of the earth. And it appears like God is putting together something that was split apart from the very first days of God's story. In Genesis chapter 11, people can't get along because they can't understand the languages. They start building a city. They start building a city for themselves. It's the story of the city of Babel. Ironic name, if you will. And God separates them by not allowing them to understand one another. And then in Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 2, what do we see here? All kinds of different languages, and all of a sudden everyone can understand what's going on. You see symbolically what's happening here. Because he's putting the pieces back together. He's initiating a new era of the way he's going to work. And this era is going to include the Holy Spirit of God, who's going to somehow start piecing this together individually, not just in groups, not just in Jerusalem, but everywhere. It's an amazing moment. In other words, they're speaking in these languages. Some would say tongues. Actually, the word tongues and languages is very similar in translation. They were speaking in languages. So that the good news about Jesus Christ would be available for everyone. Because that's exactly what happens next. If you look at the rest of chapter 2, you will see that when there's confusion about what's going on, Peter says, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let me tell you why this happened. Let me tell you why this strange supernatural gift of languages, tongues came upon these people at this time. He wants you all to know about Himself, Jesus Christ. At the very next verses, if you go on from 12. But Peter, standing up with 11, lifted up the voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this was what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That's what they were doing there. They were prophesying. They were speaking in a language that they couldn't understand for the purposes of pointing towards God. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. The lowest of the whole society would get access to God and God's Spirit like they never had before. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone, everyone, not just Jews, not just those who were circumcised, which was the Jewish rite of passage, but everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or to hell or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, may I, I, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried in his tomb is with us today, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that, we are all what? Witnesses. That's a sermon within a sermon. See what I did there? We saw this. We saw Jesus Christ. We saw him do mighty works. We saw that he claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. We saw that he was God incarnate. He died. We saw him die. But we saw him alive. And we're witnesses to this. I love this text because how often do we think of being empowered with the Holy Spirit so that we can proclaim that very message? Friends, that's why we are given the Spirit of God. It's hard, though, to witness to something that you have not experienced, isn't it? This is why it's so important for us to repeatedly tell you about the story of God. The story of Jesus. To call you to believe in Him. To call you to repent of your sins, even though you don't always know exactly what that means. That there's pieces of this puzzle that don't yet make sense. That you don't totally understand what your sin is or how your sin works or how it's so disobedient to God and yet you still believe. This is why we give you the opportunity all the time. That's exactly what happened for Peter. And 3,000 people who were in that area believed. One of the greatest church plants of all time. Most, most church planters would kill for 3,000 on their first day. I mean, they'd probably literally kill. So why did 3,000 people believe? Why do you think that was? Because Peter had such a great sermon? No, some of those I'm like, ah, man, I wouldn't use that text to explain it. Why do you think 3,000 people believed? Because the Spirit of God was speaking, that's why. Because the Spirit of God had come in an unusual way, a supernatural way, not just for the personal glorification of those who were following Him, but for the proclamation of the Gospel so that people would believe and turn their lives to God through Jesus Christ. Now do you see why it's so important that we talk about the Spirit of God for our church family? When we talk about mission? We don't have a mission without the Spirit of God. We have no right for mission without the Spirit of God. We have no power to do anything without the Spirit of God. 
This is why these last four weeks have been about calling you to seek the Spirit of God for the power to proclaim about the Son of God. I think so many times we read texts like this and we get sidetracked into what, how does this tongues work and believe me, like I'll be around. You can talk my ear off after the service about this because I haven't even begun to scratch the surface on it. But I will say this, I am absolutely convinced that this isn't about tongues. This is about the proclamation of the gospel through the powerful spirit of the holy God. I'm absolutely convinced of that. So how do people respond? How do people respond? Well, I think the way that the text describes it is what we can expect too. You would think, you would think that when, when this happens, when they start hearing God's mighty, I mean, if you went to a mall today, I mean, this doesn't even make sense because we all kind of generally speak English, but let's pretend we didn't all speak English. There were all kinds of language. There was as many languages here as there are people here this morning. We went to a mall and, and there were people speaking and every single language was understood. It would be crazy. Like, I'm, I'm sure even the television stations would start picking that up. But what was the response? And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what did this mean? What does this mean? But others mocking said they were filled with new wine. I mean, I wish I was there. I wish I was there to see that. It would, for me, I always feel like this would be so helpful to see this in action. And I believe the Spirit of God can do this today. I know that it doesn't happen all the time, but I actually believe this could happen again. But I think the purpose of it will still be the same. It will still be about the proclamation of Jesus. It will still be about giving people a chance to repent. But let's be encouraged by this text that no matter how spirit-filled we are, no matter how much, how clear we are about the gospel, that some will be amazed and perplexed and say, tell me more, and some will say, you're drunk. I mean, let's just be encouraged by that. I mean, for, for a second here, when you talk about witnessing, and I challenged you a little bit about witnessing what you have personally experienced, have you ever stumbled over your words when trying to talk about your personal experience of Jesus Christ? If you're a Christian. Yes, I have. I, I do it all the time. I sat in a coffee shop this morning, and I was like, my goodness, I'm preaching on this. I sure hope I don't actually have to do this in the coffee shop this morning. That's how much I know what this feels like. I'm terrified of this. What am I going to say? People are going to think I'm crazy. Really, you're going to talk about a three-in-one God? You're going to talk about sins and, and repenting and turning to Jesus? I know what that feels like, friends. And I struggle with it too. And so this text is good for me today because it reminds me that there are going to be times when people just say, yes, absolutely, I believe it. You don't say any more, I'm in. And there will be times when people say, you are drunk out of your gourd. No thanks. And the reason why I say that is, this text clearly says, it's not up to you. It wasn't up to those people. 
The Spirit of God did not save 3,000 people that day because Peter had done some good things for God and so God owed him one and so he dished off the Holy Spirit as a way of paying Peter back for it. He just did it because he wanted 3,000 people to come to know him that day in a miraculous way. And I leave you with this later story in chapter 4. That's the, that's the whole way you see the Holy Spirit. When they pray and they ask for more fillings of the Holy Spirit, I think there are, by the way, two kind of definitions of that, but again, talk to me afterwards. I'd love to break this down with you if you have questions. But as they pray for fillings of the Holy Spirit, you know what they don't pray for? Safety. You know what they don't pray for? People to connect the dots. Do you know what they pray for? Boldness. Does it help us to be bold witnesses? Help us to tell what's actually in our hearts. That's what you see in, in, in Acts chapter 4. The believers pray for boldness. I think that's actually a title in there. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. So that's my prayer for us today. As we close, I'll call the band up. And to just say this, today I think the Spirit of God, through God's Word, is asking us today to pray for His Spirit to fall on us. I know it's a bold prayer, but we need it. If what we're doing is just creating a church for us to keep us cozy and comfortable, then I'm afraid we're praying for the Spirit to come for the wrong reason. But if we pray that the Spirit of God comes and falls upon us individually and as a community so that we can witness, I think we are right in line with the text. We're right in line of the Word of God. And so as we sing, as the band leads today, I ask that you would pray. And we have a, a, a very simple but symbolic, very important meal to us that we do as we sing. These are what we call acts of worship. So the way we design our service is, <coughs> excuse me, on the front end we hear from the Word of God. <coughs> on the back end, we respond to God. And so this time of singing, time of taking the Lord's table, time of giving, these are responses to God. These are ways that we invite you to respond. <coughs> so as you respond to God, remember this. You can ask for boldness. You can ask for the filling of God's Spirit in your life so that you can witness because Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died the death you and I should have died. He paid the sacrifice. He purchased the harvest for us. It's already been paid. When Jesus encouraged His disciples to pray, He said, don't pray for the harvest. It's there. He said, pray for workers of the harvest. That's who we are. We're workers for the harvest. And we need the Holy Spirit if we're going to harvest. We have to have the Holy Spirit. We cannot move forward without the Holy Spirit of God. So today, today, 
Make a decision today to pray for the filling of God's Spirit in your life. And know that that comes at this sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you and for me. He came, that's the bread. He died, that's the blood. So let's respond to God together.